Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. We are continuing today in our message series in the book of Galatians. We're calling this the gospel of freedom as we're exploring uh, the gospel of grace and how to live that out in very practical ways in our lives. The Galatians were, uh, it's really written to a group of churches or kind of a spread of churches in a province called Galatia of ancient Asia Minor or what today would be southern Bozed. Um, vast differences of opinions and convictions, even between good friends. I don't know if any of you have had to live through that with like a strong difference of opinion with a friend or coworker, um, between masks and vaccines and closures and presidential elections and attending church here at home, uh, here in person or there at home. Uh, there's been tension. Let's be honest. There's been tension and uh, social media doesn't really help with that. And it's just kind of an ongoing thing and a growing thing in some ways. Um, and yet I believe that God is actually using this time to wake up and to shake up the church. I really do believe that. I believe that God is calling his church to say, now is the time. Prepare yourself for what is to come. I believe we are entering the the final days of history. Now, whether that's, you know, obviously 2,000 years ago, they were saying the same thing, but we're that much closer. And as you watch what's developing, particularly in, in the Middle East and Israel and that things that are shaping in Europe and so on, I really believe that time is accelerating. And the time is now, church, for you to, to you, you know, Engage with Jesus. Make sure you know where you are at with the Lord. Get to know His Word. Expose yourself to, to good teaching and all that kind of stuff. I really believe that God is waking up His church. And as culture, you know, increasingly calls good evil and calls evil good, it's all been switched around. We as God's people are being forced to examine some of our basic, some of our fundamental kind of convictions and behaviors and practices, testing them to see if we are truly following the Lord. If we're really being faithful to the word, that's what's happening. The, the Apostle Paul, he wrote this to the Corinthians in Corinthians chapter 2, 13, verse 5. And I've got this verse on screen, I think, for you. He said this, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. I'm going to go on a little bit of a limb this morning. Christy, as you were leading us in worship, I, I really sense that the Holy, that Jesus was present here by the Holy Spirit. If you did not sense that this morning, if you did not sense that the Lord was present here, I would say you need to ask God, why am I not sensing that? Right? You need to be ready to engage with that and say, Jesus, you're real and I can, you know you have a relationship with Jesus when you can sense that he's in the room. Like I don't have to look at my wife over there right now, but I know she's here. I sensed it when she walked in this morning. Like I felt that because I know her. And the same thing when Jesus is in the room, you should know it. You should sense it. 
He's saying, surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. I mean, think about that this morning. And so that's the invitation to really examine ourselves to see if, is my faith real or am I just going through the motions? If it's just going through the motions, change now. Change now. So in today's passage, uh, somewhat related to that, but, but maybe, maybe that was a little bit of a freebie this morning, but it, we are going to, to encounter an interpersonal conflict that happens. Two of the leading founders of the church, right, have a public confrontation. One of them is clearly right, and one of them is plainly wrong. Now, we're not talking about a good guy and a bad guy. We're not talking about, about one that's faithful and one that's become a heretic. We're talking about two good guys, Peter and Paul, but one of them has messed up and missed the gospel. And so we're going to read Galatians chapter 2. And I invite you to stand with me if you're able for the reading of God's word. And I would say to our friends at home, I would ask you, invite you to also do the same thing. To stand if you're able. It's a great, that'll really help you engage. When you're engaging with us here Do what we do. Sing when we sing. Clap when we clap. Stand when we stand. Pray when we pray. I know it's awkward to sing, especially if it's just a couple of you in the room. But but you're going to get so much more from what God wants to give you if you will open your heart and participate in that way. So I just mean that as a friendly invitation, encouragement. I hope you're standing with us. And um, all right, let's read. I'm going to read Galatians chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. It says, When Peter came to Antioch, Paul speaking, I had to oppose him face to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, James was from, you know, they would have come from Jerusalem. Peter would not eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. And as a result, other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. And when I saw, verse 14, when I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded all the, the, discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? Verse 15, you and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Thank the Lord for his word. Let's be seated together. It's a remarkable personal glimpse into the lives of these guys. Uh, we want to be very, very clear about something. The confrontation between Paul and Peter was not a matter of preference or opinion. This was not about music style. This is not about, you know, what you should wear when you go to church. This is not what we're talking about here, right? Paul's defending the fundamentals, you know, the foundational gospel truth. Why? For the benefit of unbelievers, for the benefit of those who have not yet come to faith in Christ. Peter had made a misleading error where he had replaced, uh, he had taken his conviction and replaced it with comfort. 
He replaces conviction with comfort. He did what was easier and safer and would avoid confrontation and conflict. And it was just easier to go along with religious pressure. It just was easier for him. And many of us have come from a sort of religious cultural background that's quite passive. Some would say passive aggressive. I, I won't argue that point, but that's kind of, you know, we're taught to preserve harmony at all costs. You know, I get it. We want to be peacemakers. It doesn't matter if two people are mad at each other and have some big conflict, but you smile and nod and say, hey, good morning, nice to see you, but something's boiling under the surface. That's not healthy. That's not peacemaking, okay? Right? And so when we when we avoid all that conflict and we avoid confrontation like that, the, the, we, the problem is that we're giving in to wrong belief. We're actually reinforcing wrong belief and wrong behaviors just to avoid that conflict. And then that just leads to more bad belief and bad behavior. And so we have to learn how to handle confrontation a little bit better. One of the things that uh, I would say is, this is probably my one of my greatest regrets as a dad. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things I could have done better. But one big regret is that that I raised, especially raising my kids in the Clovis Unified School District. You know, I taught them to walk away from confrontation, walk away from bullies, walk away from any potential fight. It's not worth getting in trouble and being kicked out of school for a few days. You know, I hate violence. I don't condone violence. But in hindsight, and some of you are going to kind of freak out at me at this, but in hindsight, I wish I had done a better job of teaching them to stand up for themselves, even if it meant you had to throw a punch and spend a few days at home. I wish I had done a better job of teaching them to stand up for yourself in those situations. So if my sons are watching, sorry guys, um, isn't it true that you always think You'll do better as a parent. You think, I'll never be like my dad. or I'll never be. And then it just kind of repeats. I have great parents, by the way, who do watch this program anyway. But in this Galatian context, we're not even talking about that. We're not talking about standing up for yourself, but we're talking about standing up for the gospel of grace. We're talking about standing up for those who need to hear and respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. And so the key verse really is verse 14, where where Paul uh, writes this. He says, when I saw that they, meaning Peter and his friends, that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I, you know, confronted Peter. Now, keep in mind, let me let me just jump out of the notes for a minute. They're in Antioch. Antioch is uh, would be in, you know, what's actually today. It's actually on the southern tip of of Turkey, but would have been part of Syria at the time. Antioch is the first place where the gospel really exploded among the Gentiles. The gospel had moved because of of, of um, persecution, and Jewish believers went to Antioch and they shared the gospel with other Jews. But then they also began to share with Gentiles, and it's in Antioch that believers were first called Christians. And so the Antioch church is really important, in some ways more important than the Jerusalem church. The Antioch church is where gospel missionary sending happened. It's where Paul and, and Barnabas were first sent out. So it's it's a key church in the New Testament. Probably the most, I would say, is the most important um, setting for the church in the New Testament. And so Peter's there, uh, Barnabas and Paul have been doing ministry there. 
But what happens here is that Peter had given in to internal pressure because he feared criticism of those who believed that circumcision was necessary for salvation, like kind of complete, right? You see that at verse 12. It does not appear that Peter was pressured by others. It does not appear that he was being kind of arm twisted into this. He just lost his way because of his fear of criticism. And I don't know about you or or me, like how many times have we buckled to something because we didn't want the risk of someone getting mad at us or criticizing us or, you know, somehow shaming us publicly or whatever. I mean, I have probably you have. We've we've done that lots of times. We're afraid of of what someone's going to say. And so we just hold back or we we don't stand up for what's right. And Peter's abandonment of the truth meant at least three things Meant at least three things. One, his actions were hurtful. And damaging to the Gentile believers. I mean, these relations, he'd been doing dinner. He'd been having lunch with these Gentile believers. His Jewish friends show up. and He's like, he won't eat with them anymore. Can you imagine how those guys felt? Talk about wounded. Secondly, he misled others in his hypocrisy. The people that, you know, were there with him were like, oh, yeah, we're not going to do that either. Yeah, you know, we really need to do this over here. And, And finally, he. He reinforced false teaching. Here's Peter, the leader of the church. Reinforced false teaching, which would mean the truth was lost, which mean the gospel is compromised. So this isn't just an oopsie moment. Yeah, I could have done that a little better. Sorry, guys. No, he's making a mistake that has eternal consequences. All because of his fear of criticism. Man, guilty as charged. Okay, so what do we take away from this unfortunate episode. I say unfortunate. Also, it's good because Paul stood up to him. First, we learn this. The gospel needs no math. The gospel needs no arithmetic, right? When we add to or subtract from the gospel, we multiply error, which equals confusion, hurt, even deception. Okay? When we add to the gospel or we subtract from the gospel, we multiply error, which equals hurt, confusion, and deception. There's an equation for you. The gospel is pure and it's simple. Jesus died for your sins and your faith in him is the only way to a right relationship with God the Father. No more, no less. You cannot make yourself more righteous by what you do. Yes, we live, we seek to live righteously. I'm not saying that. But you cannot make yourself more righteous in God's sight by your efforts. And because the gospel is simple, we are prone, always, we are prone to complicate it. We we are. We, you know, we just want to kind of make it sound more impressive. And, and that's just kind of in our nature. And the pressure increases when we get around someone who convincingly wants to do, you know, legalism math. And we've got to resist that. In Peter's case, he actually knew better. Now, there's a, there's a passage in, in Acts chapter 15. And it's not clear. Scholars aren't agreed whether what's happening, what we're reading about today happened before Acts 15 or after Acts 15. But Acts 15 records what we call the... Um, the Jerusalem Council. 
there was conflict happening between Jewish believers and Gentile believers. Well, what, you know, what laws should be carried on and what shouldn't be and how, and so they had a big conference. It's the first big church conference, a big convention. They got together and they said, okay, let's lay it on the line. Let's talk about it. And so Paul and Barnabas talk about, here's what we've been doing among the Gentiles and, and they're kind of explaining it. And then Peter, Peter, the one we're talking about, Peter stands up and says, you know what, guys? I don't think we should put this yoke of our regulations, of Jewish regulations on these new believers. That's not right for us to do. And James contributes to the conversation. Yeah, we should not make it difficult for those who are coming to Christ. And here these guys blew it. So they knew better. And yet they stumbled in this. Paul, I mean, the Lord had clearly shown Peter that the... You know, all the kosher regulations, you know, the, the food laws were no longer applicable. You can read about that in Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 11. The, you know, the, the apostle Peter, uh, has this incredible triple vision and God basically says, you can eat anything. Don't call anything I've created unclean. Go for it. Even crustaceans or whatever you want to eat. Have a lobster. It's fine. Right. And, and that led Peter that opened the door for Peter. Actually, Peter's the first one to really, we have get this record of him sharing the gospel with Gentiles, Cornelius, who was a soldier in, in his whole household. But now we've got this problem. Peter's does not want to take the heat from the Jew, what we call Judaizers, the one who were trying to make the Christians more Jewish, the Judaizers. And so he caved. And in doing so, he injured relationships with others and even Barnabas and others followed suit. If you're wondering more about this, read Hebrews chapter 8. You can put that in your notes. Read Hebrews chapter 8, especially verse 8, chapter 8, verse 13, where the writer of Hebrews says the law is obsolete. It's done. It does not apply any longer. The Jewish law. And so here's, here's what you have to remember. Freedom is easily lost. Freedom is easily lost. I'm working very hard to refrain from any political commentary on that, but you can make your own connections on that. Freedom is easily lost. Bullies are intimidating. These days it's censorship and cancel culture and, and you know, you say anything against the prevailing media narrative and the prevailing culture and you'll be labeled something terrible. And in Peter's case, his fear of the Judaizers was enough for him to surrender his freedom in Christ and to mislead others as well. How easy it is to give up our freedom. To, to sabotage, really sabotage the truth. And yet Paul, this is amazing, Paul did not back down even though his best friend, Barnabas at this point in his life, Barnabas is Paul's best friend. Barnabas is the one that really got Paul into public ministry. Barnabas is the one who advocated for Paul. Barnabas is, has tons of trust in the new church. Barnabas is a rock star in the New Testament, even though he's pretty quiet about it. And even Barnabas was misled. So Paul's best friend is like, oh, no, no, no Paul, I, I don't think I should eat with the Gentiles. Paul's like, I'm alone here, guys. And yet he stood up. And so I want to talk about this confrontation and kind of, this is just sort of a practical moment now. Like, how do you handle confrontation when you need to? Because the mistakes we typically make in confrontation are that we're indirect 
we're unspecific and, and we're not loving in the way we do it. So I want to talk about confrontation, those three things. Paul's confrontation with Peter was a direct confrontation. Paul's confrontation was a direct confrontation. Verse 11 says, when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. And he actually did it in front of other people, which I probably wouldn't recommend, but he did it. See, technology has made confrontation actually really easy. Some of you young people, you've got to break up text, right? That's a horrible. Or, you know, you, you just, you don't want to deal with something and so you just send them an email. Or, or you, you make a Facebook post and, and, and that kind of confrontation, that indirect confrontation is actually counterproductive and destructive. So when you have to confront, especially when it comes to standing up for truth, do it face to face or at least voice to voice. Again, if you're under 30, if you're under 35, I've got news for you. That smartphone that you have actually has an app on there called a phone. And you dial a number and you can talk to somebody. It's amazing. And I, I don't mean to be picking on you facetious. I don't like talking on the phone either. I get it. But when you, when you need to deal with something, do it at least voice to voice, if not face to face, which is preferable. Be direct. Just difficult confrontations, conversations almost always get worse in text messages. You get couples fighting by text message. Oh, that's horrible. Or coworkers or, or some other or situation. And it's just unproductive and just unravels further and further. So I'm not against communication technology. I text as much as probably anybody else. But if the relationship matters at all, if it's anything challenging or difficult, confrontation has to be, you know, direct, personal. Secondly, confrontation needs to be specific. Specific. Don't beat around the bush. Get to the point. Make, you know, say what you need to say. And Paul really did call out Peter with clarity. Because you look at verse 14, the second half of, uh, of verse 14, he says, Since you... Paul speaking to Peter, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? Very, very specific. I mean, can you imagine if Paul had said, uh, hey, Peter, I need to talk to you about something. Um, you know, uh, you know, like, I'm not saying that you're doing this, uh, but um, like, I would be concerned you know, if we or maybe some people, you know, started kind of going along, say, with that circumcision group, um, you know, just trying to keep them. I mean, I mean, I'm kind of tempted to do that, too. And so, like, I'm not I'm not saying this is about anybody in particular, but, you know, we should try to make sure, you know, people aren't doing that. I mean, that kind of happens, doesn't it? Like, wait, are you are you talking to me? Uh well, you'll see this sometimes in the workplace. One person messes up, but then, you know, rather than dealing with the issue directly, the manager gives the whole staff some vague lecture, right? Some of you have experienced this. Or, you know, one person is the culprit for um, always leaving their dirty dishes in the sink at work. But, oh, now there's a new policy that has to come out, and everybody gets needs to get dish training, and, and uh, you know, like you know, dish sensitivity training or something. I don't, I don't know what it is, right? You think, 
Just deal directly. Just be specific. You know, if Kurt's the problem, we go to Kurt. Say, Kurt, please wash the dishes after yourself when you leave them in the work sink. And um, thank you. He says he's working on it. That's great. Right? So if you're going to confront, be direct, but also be specific. And, and lastly, and I think this is the most important one, confrontation needs to be done in love. Peter was at, I mean, uh, uh, Paul was at risk of offending Peter, for sure. He was at risk of losing the relationship. But, but there was so much at stake, he couldn't just let it slide. He couldn't just let it go. And so the most loving thing Paul could do was to stand up to Peter. Right? And while not stated here specifically, Peter did correct. He really did. You read his books, uh, you know, first and second Peter, his letters, they're very clearly loaded with grace concepts. Here's, here's how I know for sure that it was loving. Paul didn't shout at Peter. He didn't, you know, go off on him in weird ways. He explained the reason for the confrontation. Look again, go, go back to verse 16 with me. It's a long verse. Verse 16, he says, Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law. For no one will be, no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Listen, this is a full explanation of the gospel to Peter. The lead apostle, the guy that walked with Jesus more than anyone, the guy that had the vision of the, of the animals that you can eat, that even experts sometimes, all of us really need to be taken back to the basics, need to be reminded over and over again. It's not a bad thing to say, Hey, Peter, I know you know this stuff, but I'm going to tell you again because you seem to have lost sight of it. And it's okay to do that. Sometimes, even when I, sometimes when I'm preaching, I, I, people kind of roll their eyes when we go over basic concepts, but you gotta be able to, you know, if I shook you awake at two in the morning, you need to say, yes, we're saved by grace through faith and not any works of ourselves, right? Like we gotta know it cold. So if you're gonna stand up for the truth of the gospel and in, in generally in any kind of confrontation, be direct, be specific, and most of all, be loving. All right, let me finish up uh, with this thought here that you and I have the, the, the power to influence people toward grace or toward legalism. We really do. We can influence people toward grace or toward legalism. And obviously we want to stand in grace. But how do you know the difference? How do you know when something is leaning back toward rules and regulations and, and laws? Um, I'm going to give you some danger phrases of legalism. Where let's just talk briefly about some of the danger phrases of legalism. And if you have never heard these in church, you're probably brand new to the church, probably your first Sunday. Okay. The, we all get into this. We all have fallen into this. So I'm not casting stones and I'm not pointing fingers at anybody because I'm mostly pointing at myself. But for example, when someone says, well, we've always or never done it that way, that's a danger phrase. Now it could be, well, we've never done it that way before. Let's try it. Great. We're talking about the, I don't know, we've never done it that way. Oh, I don't know, we always do it this way here. Whether at home, right? Could be how you load or unload the dishwasher, right? 
There's danger phrases in legalism, even in practical matters, that keep us from freedom. And so be rare. You just guard against that. How about this one? When you hear someone say, well, what will people think if we do that? Or what will people think if we don't do that? What will the neighbors say? Any of you grow up with that? What will the neighbors say? We, get, we got that sometimes. Right? That's a danger phrase of legalism. When we're making our decisions based on what how other people will perceive us, they don't know our motives. They don't know what we're really about. Well, what about this one? Well, we need to make a good impression. Right? Who cares what's actually going on? We just got to make sure we look good to to the world around us. How about rather than this, um, one of our sister churches in town, I love it on their, their, one of the things they say about themselves on their website is, we are unimpressive people. I read that last night. I'm like, I love that. We are unimpressive people. Like, if people really knew what you're like and what I'm like, they'd be like, huh, I thought he was a lot better than that. Right? Yeah. We're pretty unimpressive. We've got lots of flaws and lots of failures. So we need to make a good impression is the danger phrase of legalism. One more, how about this? When we say, well, let's not rock the boat. Let's not, let's not change things up too much. Let's just kind of maintain the status quo. Those are danger phrases of legalism. So remember, I'm not advocating for license. I'm not advocating for lawlessness, right? We don't take grace lightly. We don't make it cheap. God commands us to live a holy life, but we always seek to lead to freedom in Christ rather than to slavery, to rules and policies and regulations. So don't let the voices of culture, you know, or the voices of tradition muddy the waters for you. Don't let them bully you into silence, nor dilute or pollute the gospel and when you do have to f- confront, remember to be direct and specific and loving. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and, and we're going to sing just an amazing song to conclude the service today. But listen, the good news in all this, friends, what, listen to me, that the good news in all this, the good news in all this is that Peter got it. He got it. When you read those letters, as I mentioned, that, that Peter wrote, he talks about grace a lot. The very last written words of the Apostle Peter, the very last verse of his second you know, book, the last words we have of Peter are this. You must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter, guy who'd been highs and lows, been through it all, says, hey, the last thing I want to just tell you, he says, this is my parting shot. You've got to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what he wants to leave you with. You need to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A wise and godly person will not be offended by rebuke, even if it stings. And it just could say to you right now today. If you've been trying hard, maybe recently, maybe your whole life, trying hard to be a, quote, good Christian. You might be feeling like a failure. If you don't feel like a failure, you might need to examine what's really going on in your heart. But you're like, and I try, but I mess up. I still sin. I still make mistakes. I still 
do things I shouldn't do, say things I shouldn't say, look at things I shouldn't say. I can't believe I'm still struggling with this. Here's the good news I have for you. The sure way to get yourself on track is not to wonder about your own goodness, but to reflect on the goodness of God. That's the key. It's not about your goodness. It's about the goodness of God. Because God is stable and secure no matter what. Remember all He has done for you. Recognize, listen, recognize your abject unworthiness before God. And recognize His amazing grace that takes all that away and makes you righteous and holy and worth worthy to stand before Jesus Christ. It's about the goodness of God. You're wondering how you can get through this, how you can handle confrontation, how you can continue to follow Jesus, how you can pursue a holy life. Consider, meditate, ponder, reflect on, absorb the goodness of God. He's been faithful. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.